Welcome to the Just Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. We've been gone for about two weeks. Well, we've missed two weeks, yeah. And we are here. It's, we've had some people who have, who have asked about us. So it's nice to know that uh, there are actually some people out there that miss us. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If, if I was gone for two weeks... I don't even know if like you like you guys or my family would even like notice. I mean, we would feed Lola. Okay, well that's nice. You'd keep my dog alive, and but would you yeah. ask questions like where is Andrew? Or you like I'm like I'm I mean, just busy. I can't. I mean, that would take too much time and energy to focus on, you know. Yeah, I understand that. Well, we're back this week. We had a over the last two weeks. Well, before I even say any of that, we, you'll notice we're on Zoom. Everyone, we. We will be back to our regular recording. I still have not settled in completely from my from my move, and that's one of the reasons that it took us a couple of weeks. We went from moving. Uh, I moved, which was closer to Croyler, so that'll make recording easier. But I still had to have to set up everything. And then last week we went uh, we went for Labor Day weekend up to the Upper Peninsula, of Michigan, and we had a fun weekend at a cabin. Um, Croiler told or I guess asked or told my girlfriend to jump in a lake to get his phone. Uh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold I, I, on. I, was, I wasn't there until the very end when I just saw <laughs> oh, her no, no. jump off a pier <laughs> into chest high water. And I'm like, what the hell is she doing? All right, all right. We got it. We're going to have to work this out here. Now, um, <laughs> so we're we're in, in the cabin by the lake and we're all loading up the boat. So, you know, we're getting a cooler with our things in there, you know, but we get to the boat and the boat's still covered. So um, me and Clive are taking the cover off. Now it's really, really windy. And that cover is like, you know, if I was holding the cover, if I had let go, had let go, it would fly away. So I'm holding on to the cover while Clive is, you know, taking, you know, unsnapping the cover off. And uh, and that's when I see the the cover of the cooler, like, fly off into the water followed by a flash of light mm-hmm. which was my phone and uh i looked at andrew's girlfriend who was there and she just stood as this whole thing took place like she could have caught it in the air you know and uh oh hold on a second. she could have <laughs> caught she could have while she was just hanging out could have just caught your phone mid-air I'm, as it flew off i'm just cooler. saying i'm just saying there was an opportunity there uh-huh and uh, so it flies off <laughs> and then it falls right into the water. And I'm like, was that my phone? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, can you get it? <laughs> and she's like, what, right now? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so she like very, like very valiantly dropped all her things and just jumped in and saved my phone, rescued my phone, which was amazing of her to do. And that's right as I was walking up uh, from back from – I was walking up from the cabin, and we were getting ready to get on the boat, like you said, and I just saw her hop in, and I saw the lid to the styrofoam just floating away in the river, and I was thinking, why is she fully clothed jumping into the water for a styrofoam lid? Like, we can just go get it on the boat. And then 
she hopped back out with your phone. And I said, what are you doing? She said, Corey dropped his phone. I said, why did you jump in? And she goes, because he told me to. <laughs> well, I didn't want to let go of the cover because in the cover, if the cover had gone in the, had flown into the water, we were never getting that cover back out because it would be heavy and weighted down and all that. So, so yeah, I learned, we learned two things, or I learned two things through that, that she will sacrifice herself for your phone Yes. And the second thing is, I don't think she would sac herself herself from sacrifice herself for my phone. I That's think if right. I threw my phone in, I don't know that. I think she'd be like, "No, you can get it, sweetie." And like, well, yeah, that's that's but, pretty much what but, she'd say. Man, I wish she would have. She's too nice to do this. I wish she would have like tried a power move and like thrown her phone in the water and like go get that bitch to you <laughs> and, and, and just try to like guilt you into hopping in to grab it. Yeah, yeah, she pulled that move a couple of times this, that, during that trip. She's like, "Are you gonna make me do that? I, I saved your phone." She said she did that a couple of times. <laughs> Fuck yeah, I would hold that over your head until the day I died. <laughs> I would. It's good. I would visit whether whether it's whether I'm on my deathbed or or you're on yours. The last words either I or you will hear will be. I saved your phone. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think, but that's why she's better than you. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but yeah, so we—that's what we did. We we had a fun week up there, and now we're back. We are recording, and we have a little bit of a backlog of listener questions. So I figure this episode we can do a little, uh, little, little cleaning up of those and and go through some questions. Uh, we also. We're going to try to get down here um, in a little bit because your cousin is about to fight. Yeah, Neiman's fighting in, uh, you know, I think about an hour. So. And, and who is he fighting? He's fighting John Fitch. Um, and, and I think I think Neiman will take it. And I think it'll be a, a fairly easy win for him. Now, what's your, uh, what's your opinion of the matchup? It, now, if I'm not mistaken, John Fitch, he's he's like a, a veteran fighter. He's been doing this for a while, right? Yeah, he's been been fighting for a long time. You know, he was kind of like the American St. Pierre for a while, had the same kind of game, you know, could strike, could grapple, could do jiu-jitsu, you know. He kind of could do a little bit of everything, and he was kind of good at all of it. Um, and, and, you know, he as his, his MO is really just – if he can keep it on his feet and he's winning, then he'll keep it there. Otherwise he takes people down and he kind of just keeps on top and looks to smother pummel on top, you know, lose some ground and pound from there. Um, which, which all of this benefits Neiman because once they goes to the ground, I don't think, I don't think Fitch's got enough uh, grappling, you know, to, to keep up with Neiman. I haven't watched really any of the build up to this, but his, his Fitch hinted at what his strategy is. Do you think he will try to stay on his feet, or do you think he he would be comfortable enough to go to the ground with Neiman? Uh, I, the the one interview I saw where they asked him kind of what his plan was. You know, he he said he's he's preparing for a 15 minute fight, which you know on the surface may seem like oh he's just getting ready for like a war. You know, but I think it's that's his strategy. I think he's playing on just hoping to last a fight and, and look to outscore him. It's been, what, like 
eight, nine months since his last fight? Something like that, yeah. You know, I mean, he fought, and then there was, like, a little bit of a break while they finished the, the Grand Prix, and then COVID hit, so. We will. We'll see how that goes, and maybe next episode we'll do a little recap on it, but best of luck to Neiman here, who's going to be fighting in about an hour. Let's get started with our listener questions, which we haven't done in a while, so I think it's listener mailbag time. Let's open that up. I... I'm going to pull out this large, kind of cartoonish-like U-shaped magnet. I hold it out, and you hear a rumbling. And you can feel the earth underneath you shaking as all of a sudden this large, enormous magnet, this metal sphere comes out of the ground. And then it starts to fly towards this magnet I'm holding. The the sphere is at least the size of a school bus. Comes up, hits the magnet, somehow doesn't smash me as it hits the magnet. And on on this this spear is just this little, it's a perfectly smooth metallic sphere. I walk up to it and I, I place my hand on it and I whisper something very quietly. You can't hear. And then all of a sudden, just this little compartment opens and a tiny little satchel, a leather pouch comes out. I open it. It's pressurized somehow, um, and like 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 smoke or fog comes out from it. And then I pull up the listener mailbag. Our first listener question today comes from Cody, and his subject for his email. The title is "Thick Boy Jujitsu." <laughs> Oh, Jesus. And, and he spelled it T-H-I-C-C-B-O-I. Thick boy. All right. He says, hello, Coiler and Andrew. I'm a white belt in Dallas who's been training since October 22nd of last year. So he's just under a year. I spent my whole life severely overweight. And when I started training in October, I weighed 340 pounds. So he was a thick boy. I watched. Walking into my first class, I, terrifi- I was terrified about how I would be perceived and judged by everyone else. I was met with open arms and accepted and encouraged since day one. It's now September, and, I'm currently, and I currently weigh about 265 pounds. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I still have a long way to go, but jiu-jitsu has propelled me forward towards my goals. I had a couple of questions in regards to, per- this, to the perception of thick boy jiu-jitsu, as I call it. Number one, what is your general opinion and thoughts when you see a new guy starting who is overweight? Is there any initial judgment, reaction, or concern to it? And then two, what would you say to anyone listening who is overweight and might be letting the fear of judgment stop them from pursuing jujitsu as it did for, as it did me for years? That, that's actually a really good question. I'm, I'm kind of. I, I can appreciate that. Um, Cody, you know, those for, are the night. Those, 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 Cody, I want you to, to really appreciate what he just said. That's the that's the nicest thing I've ever heard come out of Croyler's mouth. Um, I I didn't know he was capable of such kindness. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I mean, as far as like, is, is there any judgment? Absolutely not. You know, uh, the reality is ninety. Nine percent of uh, jiu-jitsu instructors out there, especially get people that operate their schools, and you know they teach. They're they're not just like a businessman. They're actually like 
teaching. They're teaching because they want to help people, you know, they want to, to, you know, whether it's teach them to protect themselves, give them confidence, uh, you know, get them healthier, you know, develop friendships, whatever the case may be, you know, so, you know, as far as me personally, I don't judge anybody, you know, by their weight or their shape, you know, or anything like that when, when they come in, because, you know, I, I don't know why they're like that. You know, if it was, you know, they never knew any better growing up, they didn't have a good like role models, a good, you know, healthy, you know, dietary, you know, plan in their family. Um, I don't know if they were injured and they're recovering from an injury. I don't know if, if it's something hormonal. Um, but basically anybody that comes in the door at my school, I look at it as somebody who's trying to better themselves in one way or another. And, and because of that, I, I can't go into, I can't help the person if I go into it, like already judging them by how they look or, you know, what kind of shape they're in. So, so no, I don't, I don't, I don't have any judgments. Um, and you might, you, you, you don't have any judgment. I wouldn't have any you could run into people who might judge you a little, but those are the people that I wouldn't, I wouldn't really put a whole lot of uh, faith into because they're obviously not, they're probably, they're probably not like a high level person there. There's someone who's pretty small minded and, and doesn't, doesn't appreciate like the bigger picture where, like you said, you don't know what's going on with the person. And frankly, if you're, if you're, if someone's self-conscious, they're overweight. To me, the only thing that matters is that like you're trying out there. If I, it doesn't matter what the person looks like. If they're, if they don't look like they're trying, I'm gonna judge them for that. If they're, if they're trying and working their ass off, then that's that's all all, all I would judge someone by. Yeah, I mean, and and I think I think you nailed it. You know, I think if you're afraid somebody is judging you there. Um, you know, what I, what I would do is, you know, keep in mind that in within six months, anybody that is still around in a, in a jiu-jitsu school that they no longer judge or they have been, the people that do judge have been, have, have left, you know, those people don't survive. So, you know, at worst, if you're going to school and somebody's judging you at worst, you'd have, you know, six months worth of that one douchebag that, that is judgy, you know, but, but douchebags don't survive in jujitsu. So, you know, it's easy to outlast them. All right. And then his second question we kind of touched on, but uh, what would you say to anyone listening who's overweight and might be letting that fear of judgment stop them from pursuing jujitsu? Um, you know, I, I think, I think the, the way to look at it, you know, I, I've never had to deal with it myself with a situation of like, you know, I'm afraid to go into jiu-jitsu because of, you know, this, this or that, you know, I, I kind of grew mm-hmm. up in it. So I never had to kind of deal with that. But, you know, before I took jiu-jitsu seriously, like I, I you know, I was like 320 pounds, you know, I, I had a ton of weight on me. Um, so it's one of those things, like, I will tell you that from personal experience, you will lose weight. So if you're self-conscious about your weight because you're bigger or you've always been bigger, or maybe you were smaller and you were, had an injury or... Uh, illness and something happened and you gain a ton of weight, maybe you got depressed or whatever the case may be. Um, I can tell you that just showing up to class every day, you will lose the weight. And 
not only that, you'll, you know, without even realizing that it's happening, you will feel better about yourself. So the, I wouldn't let your own fear stop you from coming in. You know, my, my grandfather used to say that the reason he fought was so that he, the reason why he would, he would step on the mats would be so that he wouldn't lose, you know, meaning that the real battle is not being controlled by your fear. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you come in and you are huffing and puffing in class, if you're, you know, struggling to do the moves, struggling to do anything in classes, everything's harder for you because you're a little bit out of shape. You're still in there, you know. And 99% of the people that you know will, would have never had that courage to even step through those doors the first day. So I, I, would, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't feel, you know, embarrassed or ashamed or concerned in any way. Well said. Next question. Oh, you know what? Before next question, here's a sign of how, bo- how rusty we both are. I'm Andrew Desimone. And this oh, is yeah. <laughs> but just just a podcast, right? With Corella Gracie. Yeah, that's something that uh, I forgot. But I mean, you you that's on you. That's, that's your, my job. That's, that's your one. That's your job here is to to make that's sure it. that we give our introductions. I'm done. It's over. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right. Our next one here is Instagram question. And this is from, oh, he wants an alias. His name's Delron, or his his alias is Delron. Okay. Sounds like uh, one of the characters I'd make up for one of our role-playing scenarios. Number one, he says, does Croiler have a competition requirement for his students? I know you'll be testing. Oh, he's talking about me. I know you'll be testing for purple in the future. So has Croiler wanted you to compete at least once at white and blue? I've noticed in the Midwest that a lot of these schools pride themselves on being a competition school. And really the main way to rank up is by taking gold, especially sandbagging to take gold. What is your opinion? Oh, was that the end of the question? Uh, There's a second part, but. uh, Yeah. So we can go into this one first. Um, As far as do I have a requirement for you to compete in order to get your belt? No, absolutely not. Not not everybody's going to be a competitor. Not everybody that comes into train jiu-jitsu is training to be a competitor or they have any desire to be a competitor. You know, um, as an example, we, you know, we have, I have a, a, a lady who trains with us. She's been training with us for quite a, quite a bit of time. And, you know, she's, you know, in her mid fifties, she's got some major injuries in her back you know, she's limited by some things that have happened to her in her life. Um, and, and she trains because for her, it's the stress relieving. It keeps her active. It teaches her self-defense so she can stay sharp if somebody were to attack her. You know, like just her previous injuries that she had. She was a cop, you know, before. So the, just the injuries that she had when she was in the police force uh, would prevent her from really being competitive in, in jiu-jitsu so like it would be unrealistic for me to um demand that she that she com- that she compete and that she get gold in order to be ranked like that doesn't you know that doesn't seem okay for me um 
I think it's it's not fair. Um, the same way that like, you know, if I get, you know, somebody that is shy, that they, they, they just want to have a group of friends to hang out. They just want to learn a little bit of, you know, get a little bit more confidence. They want to lose a little bit of weight. They don't have any desire to compete, but they're improving in the gym every day and they're getting better and they should be a blue belt or a purple belt, but they just don't have a competitive bone in their body. You know, some people don't perform well under the, in a competition setting, the stress gets to them, the anxiety gets to them, but man, like they know their stuff, they know their technique, they're smooth, they can grapple really, really well. Why, why would I stop their growth? You know, uh, that, that, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, it, it seems like the, the position of like, let's say devil's advocate would say, yeah, but if they can't compete in that stressful situation, then how would they compete if they had like a, a situation in life that required them to use that skill? Right. Right. So, so that's, that's a good question, right? Um, we've had, um, I've had several students over the years. I have a few that are still training with us right now who have no desire to compete who've been training with us for quite quite some time and um they've had to they've been in situations in their lives where people that they knew attacked them and because there wasn't that anticipatory anxiety of the competition they were able to you know perform under duress and you know, they, they both, you know, the, the two students that come to mind right away, they're both successful in their defense. They're both successful in, you know, preventing damage done to them, controlling the situation, you know, getting help, you know, basically winning the altercation. So, um, you know, the, the reality is most people don't compete because they're afraid of what happens if they lose. Right. So they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're afraid to lose. So they, they see the competition as, Oh my God, what, what happens if I go out there and I lose in front of my team? But while the, the anxiety, the, the feeling, the physical feeling of anxiety may be similar to the situation of being attacked with the adrenaline dump and so on. Um, when somebody attacks you, you don't have the luxury to think of what would happen if I lose. Right, so you you're literally fighting to just to, to be safe to save yourself there. So not if you're not thinking ahead of time, I, I think people sometimes perform better. You know, I have a I have a good friend in Boston who's a black belt, um, and he's won quite a few tournaments. Yeah, uh, I think he was ranked number one uh, no gi black belt in like 2016. So he was good, you know, and uh, he never looked up his opponents. He never knew. He never wanted to know who he was fighting. Because anytime he knew, he would underperform because nerves would get to him. So he was actually better mm-hmm. off in a situation where he, he didn't think about the tournament. He didn't think about who he was fighting. He didn't think any of those things. So I think most people that are nervous to compete, it's not that they can't perform in a dress. is that they get in their head before the situation ever comes up. Do you see many schools around that have that mentality to oh, yeah. be promoted it's, that you do have to compete? Oh, absolutely. And and I, and it's really bad here in the Midwest, but it's not only in the Midwest. It's all over the all over the world now, I think. I think it's more common that schools demand a student compete to get ranked than 
schools that don't. Um, and send bagging is a gigantic, a gigantic uh, problem in jiu-jitsu. Um, if it, it benefits no one, you know, to mm-hmm. um, that's really just for the instructor's ego more than anything. And when you're saying sandbagging, you're, are you referring to a person who has been at, let's say, blue belt for four or five years and just keeps competing at that level because they know they can do really well there and they lose that confidence if they go up to their next belt level? Uh, no, no, no. I don't think it's the individual. I think that's, that's a coaching team problem. You know, like you couldn't just come in with a purple belt. Like somebody's got to give you the purple belt. Somebody's got to promote you, right? So... You know, if you if if you compete every day, every weekend, you're finding a new competition. You're you're you know you, you just like to compete. That's your fun thing to do, and you keep winning. And then you not only are you winning, but you keep winning in a dominant fashion. Meaning you're submitting nine times out of ten. You don't ever get a point scored on you, and you're just like outperforming everybody as a blue belt. And I know that you deserve your purple belt. <laughs> but I don't want to put you a purple yet because if I put you a purple, I may lose a really good blue belt that scores me a ton of points everywhere. And if I put you a purple, you're not going to be years ahead of your peers. You're going to be competitive, but it Uh also may mean that now you're losing more. Maybe now you win six or seven times out of 10 instead of nine times out of 10 or, or so on and so forth, you know? Uh, and, 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 and that's really a shame. Um, but it happens all the time. Um, I, I think that's a that's a, a instructor team issue more than a student competitor issue. Okay. Now the second part of his question, he says, "How does Croyler assess someone transferring from another school, either from a job move or coming from another local academy?" He said he heard Jocko Willing say when he moved to another state that the professor of that school wanted to observe him for at least one year before considering giving him purple. And then he asks if you require them to start in your beginner's class, regardless of belt rank. So, so no, right. Um, so we had, we had, a, I've had several people move and train with me for extended periods of time or a short period of time. Um, one of the, the latest ones was um, Brad, who moved here from Illinois, and he was he trained with us for about a year, and he came to us as a purple belt. Um, and, you know, he came in, started training right away, and, and obviously he was slick. Um, and, you know, he trained with us. I, I gave him his first stripe on his purple belt. Um, you know, after a while, I mean, I, one, I don't give stripes out very easily. I'm, I'm kind of ridiculous that way that I forget to stripe people up. Um, it's, it's the furthest from my mind, but let's say that Brad, uh, wanted to test, wanted to get his brown belt for me. Right. Um, the, the first thing is he would have to test because I, I require a testing for belts. So he would have to test for Brown and, not only did he have tests for Brown, I would have to think that he can perform at a Brown belt level. So I would look at, I would, I would observe him for a period of time to make sure that he can, he could even grapple and do the techniques like a Brown belt should. 
So, so let's say Brad comes in from a different school and he's a really slick purple belt. And I think technique wise, like as far as performance, he can perform like a brown belt. So would I give him his brown belt? No, he would have to test. Now my tests are cumulative. So if you are a brown belt, you have to demonstrate, you have to demonstrate white belt, the white belt techniques, the blue belt techniques, the purple belt techniques in order to get your brown belt. So that kind of solves that problem of transfer students. It's cumulative. Would I force that brown belt, that purple belt to go back to the beginner's class? Absolutely not. It's completely their choice. You know, once you're a color belt, you can, your classes are the color belt classes. If you want to attend the beginner's classes, that's completely voluntary and up to you. But in order to prepare for your test, you, you have, you know, you'd have to know the required techniques. And, and whether that's, go ahead. I was just going to say, when you see a color belt transfer to your school, are most of their attitudes good? Like, hey, I want to like, I, I want to start with your basic program or I want to like make sure I have a good base here in your school before you like give me anything or do they a lot of times have a little chip on their shoulder? What do you notice with the people coming in? And like, so so when people move because of their jobs and, and they're trained just, and they're looking for a new just school, they're one of three people, right? There's four people that there's four outcomes when somebody moves. One is they quit. They just flat out quit. They, they, find an excuse not to go back, whether it's, I don't know anybody in this town. I don't know uh, the school. I don't know if I'm going to be accepted. I don't, you know, it's easy to just get out of habit and just not do it. The other three people are going to be the the guys that are going to be super cool. They just want to train. They've been in it for a long time. It's just something that they do and they want to get good at. They want to find a new home. You know, if they're a competitor, they'll start competing for you and, and represent your team and all that stuff. The, the second person is the person that uh, is trying to test the school. They're not, they're not, you know, training to have fun. They're training to see if your school is worth worthy of their attendance you know, because they don't know how good you are. You know, if they came from a team and now they're, you know, two states over at a different team, they don't, they want to know that this new team is good enough for them. So they come in and they try out the school. Those are generally speaking, the guys that have like a chip on their shoulder. Um, and, and they're trying to prove to us how good they are. You know, that's, that's never healthy. Um, but, but I get it. I understand why it happens. And then the last person is a person who, um, tries to fly under the radar. You know, let's say they're a, a blue belt or a purple belt. They may come in, they may say that they're not, they've never trained before. They come into your beginner class as a white belt. They train in a white belt class to kind of see what the vibe of the school is like. And then, then they'll come clean, you know, cause it's once you hit the mats, like people know if you've trained before. And then they'll come clean and say, oh, I mean, I'm just trying out to school. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to come in strong. I don't want to be, you know, because it's intimidating. You know, if you think about it, like if you're a brown belt from a different school and you move over to a different, to a whole other school and, you know, as the individual, you may feel like the people there are gunning for you. 
you know, that they want to prove that their school is good to you and they want to show you how tough they are. And, and, and the reality is if that's the school that you run into, that's not a healthy school, you know? Um, so, so that's kind of how I handle that. I, I I'm super easy going. Basically, if you transfer to my school and you're a cool dude, I'm, I'm cool with you. Like I have no problems. You know, if you're a jerk, you won't survive in my school. That's pretty much how that works. All right, let's do one more question here for this episode. All right, this one is from Talon. He okay. says, I just got back into jujitsu after about three years off. I'm doing better than I thought I would. But in my previous school, I really had a focus on MMA and nogi. I was never given stripes or promoted in my three-plus years there because of that. Now that I'm a new at a new school, they do things a little differently. My new professor knew my old coach and is well aware of my capabilities. He'd like to see me going for a blue belt promotion as soon as possible, but there are a few issues. Number one is that I live over 60 miles away and can only make about three classes per week. Number two is that zero stripe belts are not allowed to roll on open mat time. One stripes can roll, but no submissions. So I can drill what I've learned so far, but can't do flow or live rolling. It just feels like a bit of a hitch when it comes to testing for a belt. Have you guys ever dealt with things like that? Am I just meeting, reading too much into it? Um, first, like, I mean, if you're driving 60 miles one way to train, like my hat's off to you. I respect the shit out of that. Cause that's not fun. You know, that's, that's, two hours of driving for probably just a one hour class. Um, now, as far as like, you know, this whole like not rolling with zero stripes and then rolling with one stripe or two stripes or however it is, I, I've heard about that, and, you know, and that's people trying to to solve the, the, the blind leading, the blind, you know, issue. So um, the reason why schools do that um, is because the highest pairings in jiu-jitsu that have the highest rate of injuries in any pairings in jiu-jitsu is when you get two white belts together. So when you, when you put two white belts to roll with each other, the, the, the rate of injury is far higher than any other belt matchings or pairings across the board. Um, and that's because the two eyeballs don't have no idea what they're doing. They're completely clueless. And so they resort to what feels good instinct. You know, they're just trying to make something work. And that's where injuries happen because there's no control. There's no idea. There's no plan. There's no anything. Um, and then when they do get something, it's so exciting that they kind of go crazy. Um, so, you know, in a lot of schools, I, I've heard of this where they, they say you got to reach this rank before you can roll. Um, and, and that's kind of a, a kick in the nuts for you, because if that's the rule in your school, you know, it is what it is. You know, you kind of have to abide by it. And, and, and if you have to get striped up four stripe white belt before you go to blue and you can't roll until you have one or two stripes, you, you're going to have to just kind of put in the time or find a different school, you know, regardless of anything, because on the instructor side of things, if, if you're a new coach, 
your new coach may think you're a blue belt level, but if he makes an exception for you, he's got to make an exception for others. And in, in, in order to be fair, the rules have to remain the same. And it's, it's kind of awkward at times, um, it, but, but I get it from an instructor's side. Um, you know, in my school, there is no white belt on white belt action. Like that doesn't exist. Um, all the white belts, the only people the white belts ever get to roll with are color belts. I don't I don't allow for white on white action. We're gonna close up the listener mailbag now. Z- zipper, I walk up, I open up your jaw like you're a snake, and I shove the bag in your throat and you like like you like you swallow it. So now the listener mailbag is inside you. Does that mean at some point I'll have to shit that out? <laughs> well, I, I thought maybe you could like keep it in there. <laughs> I thought maybe you could keep it in there till till we needed it next week. Okay, all right. But unless you have like David Blaine levels of control with your body, then yeah, you're probably gonna shit at least like the like the leather strap part out, um, and then oh, have okay. to pull the rest out. But okay, all right. I'll I'll keep you posted. That is that is it, folks. We're we're back and. We will see you next week.